Hey, uh, if you're snuck in later, in case you missed it, my name is Chris, and I'd love to uh, welcome you once again uh, to Beyond Church. Before we uh, before we get going, I just wanted to uh, let you know two quick things. If if you've been here for a while, if you're plugged into a connect group, and uh, maybe this is the first time tonight that maybe you're thinking, oh, I actually haven't been baptized, but maybe you had a different picture of baptism, you thought it was about leveling up as opposed to uh, the grace of Jesus. Well, we'd love you to uh, touch base with one of our crew afterwards at the Connect Desk, and we'd love to uh, get you baptized as well. Second thing is, uh, in two weeks' time, March 26th, two weeks' time, it's always a great time to invite a friend along to be on, but it's particularly a good time to invite someone at the start of a new series. And with the lead into Easter, a lot of people come to church just because uh, that's what you do at Easter, that's what you do at Christmas. And with the lead in, we are going to launch a series called The Man Behind the Beard, who is Jesus and what is it, why does it even matter? Uh, you've got some invites floating around you tonight, so we would love for you to uh, come along. And we'd also love for you to uh, invite someone along as well if you think that series had um, hit them where they're at. I actually uh, honestly have uh, the unenviable task of wrapping uh, our series up tonight. We've been in, we're in part four of a four-part series we've been doing here at Beyond called Just Do It. Uh, if you don't really know what a series is at church, it's, it's a, we unpack one major idea and then we kind of take each series like an episode in a TV series and we'll drill down a little bit. Uh, and this has been an awesome series, but I know that, uh, that Steph's uh, baptism, her testimony, pretty much said all it needed to say for tonight. So I'm kind of like that weird uncle at uh, Christmas or Easter or at every single gathering you have and you've got the food and the food's ready to be eaten and... Uh, thanks, Macca. And all of a sudden they're like, can I just say one word really, really quickly? You know, I, I get it. The, the, you guys are ready. You're like, well, Steph's being baptized. Let's go out and eat. But I'm going to be that really weird uncle. And I'm going to say, can I just have five minutes of your time really, really quickly before we get on to celebrating afterwards? And so as we wrap up uh, this series tonight, if you're new here, if this is your first time, uh, I want to let you know uh, what you can expect in the next couple of minutes together. If you would uh, classify yourself, you'd say, ah, I would not consider myself a follower of Jesus. Uh, maybe you don't even believe in God. Maybe you're kind of like, ah, oh, I'm not really sure about the whole thing. There is nothing required of you tonight. You can sit back, put your feet up, you know, get, get on Facebook, uh, relax. Because this, this message tonight is targeted specifically for those people who would say, I'm a follower of Jesus. However, so this, if you're not a follower of Jesus, so this is your opportunity to almost kind of get a little bit of a, a glimpse behind the curtain of church. Find out maybe a little bit like, what would it look like peering in from the edge if I was to follow Jesus? What, what, is that, what does this whole following Jesus thing look like? So you can sit back and you can relax, but if you're a follower of Jesus, this is something that we cannot afford to miss out on tonight. This is like kind of one of those non-negotiable things. But to bring us all onto the same page, so we're kind of all starting on an even footing or as best we can, we've been looking at one word throughout this series. One word that um, we all need, but something we all struggle with. This word is Discipline. We all recognize the need for discipline, but we often struggle so much to be disciplined. I know I need to save if I'm going to go to Europe, but those sales online are just so good. You know, I know I need to eat healthy if I want that six-pack, but the chicken nuggets are just so good, like honestly. And so the big idea we've been looking at with this series is that spiritual discipline is, is how you stay close to Jesus in a world that tries to draw your attention away from Jesus. Because you and I know how, even if we've got goals like saving money, getting fit, getting that, uh, going to every single uni class, uh, you know, being prepared for the upcoming semester, actually studying before that assignment, we know that as hard as we try, our attention just gets drawn away. And it's the same when we follow Jesus, our attention can get drawn away. So in part one, 
we looked and we unpacked the idea of why, why is discipline even important? Why is it important to have discipline in the first place? Then in part two, we moved on and we looked at how uh, we can learn to be uh, disciplined in being present. Present with yourself, present with other people, and present with God. Last week, we looked at the idea of prayer. And we said that maybe one of the reasons that you struggle with prayer is you think you have to pray a certain way or say certain things or, or, or do it in, at a certain time of the day. But we said that a disingenuous approach will never lead to a genuine relationship. If you go about prayer in an approach that isn't genuine to you, you're never going to have a genuine relationship. And we experience this in our lives all the time. And tonight, as we land the plane on this series, for the next couple of minutes that we're together, we're going to talk around this one big word. And the word that we're going to talk about is community. Now, we don't really need, or I don't think I really need to kind of say how important community is or that community is a part of our lives. Like The majority of us here... Uh, in the millennial generation, which is the most connected generation that has ever lived. In fact, there are some of you um, in this generation here tonight that you never, uh, you grew up and you never had to experience dial-up internet. Like that is just, and you're like, everyone's laughing. Like, <laughs> it's like snickering because they remember what it was like to dial up and you're just like, what? You are so blessed that you never have to learn the pain of dial-up internet. Uh, and there are some, and even if you wouldn't consider, you're not in that millennial generation, the impact of this connected world would have touched you in some way. Maybe you have a son or a daughter or you have grandchildren or or, um, you've got nieces and nephews that are part of this generation that are so connected. And community, it's one of those things that we don't ever really have to uh, talk about its, its importance. In fact, if you need to know why community is so important, all you have to do is think of a time in your life when you didn't have community when maybe you thought things were going really, really well and all of a sudden the community that you thought you were experiencing was kind of shaky. See, it's one of those things that we don't really know it when we've got it. We're not really cognizant. We're not uh, thinking about it all the time. But when it leaves, all of a sudden we're painfully aware. Maybe you're in a, uh, a relationship and your friends were his friends and then all of a sudden you broke up and then you couldn't really hang out with his friends or her friends because they were in that group and they kind of sided with one person and now all of a sudden you can't hang out with your friends anymore and if you're doing it, it's kind of under the, like, under the radar trying to be secret and all of a sudden you're experiencing that lack of community. Maybe for you, you've had a fallout at work, you had a really close work unit and, and all of a sudden there's a, a tension, there's a conflict in the office one day and all of a sudden you're pushed to the outer. And now eight hours a day, you have to feel that tension of being pushed. And maybe for some of us, part of it came through a divorce. There's mom and dad, and now I want to hang out with mom, but but dad gets angry if I hang out with mom, and I want to hang out with dad, but, oh sorry, I want to hang out with mom, but dad gets angry, and so I've got to kind of sneak around. And and what what was, I didn't notice at first, has now become painfully aware, and I'm painfully aware of when it's not present. Community at its core is really, what community is, is really this, it is a, uh, community requires a common interest. That's all it requires. It may um, be different reasons, for example, you may, uh, that, that interest may be sports, and you go to that team, and you hang around that group, and you're part of that club. Maybe for you it's musicals, or a club at school. Maybe for you the, the common interest is just the fact that you have the same last name as the people. You know, you probably wouldn't, you might not be friends with them if they didn't have the same last name as you, but like, that's the common interest. We all have the same last name, and so we're going to hang around at Christmas, we're going to hang around at Easter, like, that's why. All community takes is one common interest. 
But the question is, why is it that there are some communities that we just love being a part of and others that we're just sort of, we don't like being a part of? We're a part of the community, but we, we're not really invested in it. Why is it that some matter more than others? Why is it for some people that they cannot wait to go to work? When they finish work, they hang out with their work colleagues. They go out for drinks afterwards. They're always going out for dinners all the time. Why is it that for some of us, when we think of work, we think, man, I cannot wait for this shift to be over. You're like staring at the clock, like the, you watch the four hours tick over, like it is just not fun for you at all. Why is it that some people love church? They'll come to church on Sunday, they'll be in a group, connect group during the week, they'll go and serve on the weekend. And there are other people who are sitting there and they're like, I could not think of anything worse than to go and stand and sit, stand in a, in a room and sing karaoke for an hour and then go home. Like that's just so awkward, like I don't get it. Why is, it, why is it that for some of us, you know, uh, you know we, we, we have these communities that we're a part of and we see that maybe you've got uni friends and your uni friends just are your best friends and then you have one friend who's like, uh, just cannot understand why you love your uni friends. They can't fathom it because for them, uni is about getting, tick the boxes, uh, have enough conversations so people like pick me in their uh, group if we're doing a group assignment so I can get a good grade and then get out. Just do the bare minimum. I'm not after relationships. I'm just in to get my degree and get out. What? Why is that? And I think that um, we acknowledge that community requires common interest. Community requires common interest, but there is something else that lasting community requires. There's something else that is required above and beyond a common interest that, that is present in those communities that we just love being a part of, that we cannot say no to, that we go back to over and over and over again, that we will say no to other commitments, to other activities because we want to be a part of that community because we want to hang out with people who are a part of that community. So the question, or the tension rather, that we are going to wrestle to the ground in the next 10 minutes is what is the something else that lasting community requires? What is the something else that lasting community requires and how can we go from just community to lasting community? And I think the answer to this question is found in a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. Jesus has gathered around a table with his, uh, with his 12 disciples. And if that kind of sounds a little bit religious, um, I get that. We, we refer to them here at Beyond as the Dirty Dozen. Because if you were going to pick 12 people to start a movement, you would not pick these 12. There was like a tax collector, a whole heap of fishermen. Like one guy was like a, a religious zealot, like planning assassinations. Like you would not pick these people like to be your friends, let alone start a movement in your name. And Jesus' best mate, John, was sitting around this table when this conversation was taking place. And it was a conversation that probably took place over three or four hours. And John, uh, long after Jesus died and rose again, John begins to write a biographical account about Jesus. Because he wants other people to know who this man was and that he lived and what he did with his life. And so John writes down, and this conversation was um, so critical, so important that John remembered it enough to write it down. And we actually have this uh, conversation recorded for us in the book of John. Um, if you've uh, been to church before, it's the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, he wasn't super creative, but John is the biography that John wrote about Jesus' life. And we're going to jump in partway through this three to four hour conversation. And we're going to explore what Jesus talks about is the requirement to move from community to lasting community. If you've got your Bibles with you, you can um, pull them out or your smartphones. Um, if not the word, it'll come up on the screen. It's uh, in John chapter 15, verse 12. And Jesus says this. He says, this is my commandment. 
So remember, this is partway through a conversation. He's been leading into this, and he says, this is my commandment. He's talking to followers of Jesus. So that means, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this commandment is not for you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for us. He says, this is my commandment. Love one another in the same way that I have loved you. And I could just imagine, like, if I was sitting around that table, I'd be like, hold, hold up, Jesus, I've got a question. What about those people that kind of, like, don't agree with our teachings? What about those people who push us to the side? What about those people who shun us in public? Jesus would say, love. Jesus, Jesus. What about persecution? So if someone kind of comes up to us and they threaten to kill us, like, for our faith, should we, like, sock them back? Like, what should we do? Jesus says, love. And I, I'm sure this question was asked. I could imagine one of the disciples going, Jesus, Jesus. What if they're a cat person? Like, and Jesus would have been like, don't, no, I'm just kidding. Jesus would have been like, Jesus would have been like, love them. That's like where you're going to get the most growth if you love, love them. I'm sorry if you're a cat person. Um, and then he goes on as if to clarify. He says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for your friends. There is no greater love. And if you know anything about the, this life of Jesus, you know that, the story ends with him going and dying on a cross. Jesus gave his life, not just for his friends though, but for all of humanity. Jesus gave his life for all of humanity so that if we ever wanted to reconnect with God, if we ever wanted to, if we ever thought that maybe there's a God out there, we had a way back to God. Jesus' death and his resurrection made a way back to God, but he will not force it on us. And so I can understand totally why maybe the reason that you're not a follower of Jesus is because uh, maybe you believe that, or you can't come to grips with the whole idea that he's the son of God. I get that. Maybe the reason you struggle with being a follower of Jesus is because of the church. The church has done some horrible things. People have done things in the name of Jesus. And you, you may be struggling. You say, I don't know. I don't know if I can buy into it. And I get that. But at the very least, you should just dislike followers of Jesus. You should not dislike Jesus. There's no reason to hate Jesus. There's no reason to be angry at Jesus because Jesus, regardless of what you think of him, regardless of the way you talk about him, Jesus views you as a friend to the point that he was willing to die for you. So I'm dislike followers of Jesus, absolutely, but there is no reason to dislike Jesus. And then he goes on. This is, um, this is going to be interesting. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Jesus, don't, don't you mean that we're your friends if we know all the right things? Don't you mean we're, we're your friends if we tell people what we know and why we're right and why they're wrong? Don't you mean that we're your friends if we kind of have the moral high ground over people? And Jesus says, no. Jesus says, being a follower of me is less about knowing and way more about showing. It is less about knowing the right answer. It is less about asserting your moral position over people. And it is all about showing. Allowing people to experience the love that God has for them. Which means, on the flip side, that you're not being my friend if you look down your nose at people that don't have the same beliefs as you. That have a different value standard to you. Which means, Jesus would say, that you're not my friends if you judge people who don't follow me by the standards of people who follow me. 
If you say, well, you don't follow Jesus, but this is what I believe, so you should do exactly what I believe. Jesus actually says, you're actually not my friend if you do that. Because being my friend is about showing love, not getting them to know. And, and I can understand that, that some of his disciples would have pricked up at that. Well, they would have got like a little bit, hang on a minute, that's so countercultural. That goes against everything that their Jewish culture would have told them because their Jewish culture was all about rules. It was all about laws. It was really all about rituals. And then Jesus says these words. He says, I no longer call you my slaves, call you slaves, because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. As he's got his boys, his disciples, and there would have been some women there as well, gathered around, he says, guys, guys, you follow me because you trust me, right? They'd have been like, yeah. Do you follow me because you know all the answers? No. Did, did I wait until you could um, tell me exactly um, what I needed to hear and live exactly what I needed to do before you followed me? And they, they would have said, no. And Jesus said, that's right. Because a slave obeys someone because they have to. But a friend obeys someone because they trust them. And Jesus says, I actually don't want you to follow me because you have to. I want you to follow me because you trust me. I want you to follow me because you believe that I am who I said I am. That you believe that I did die and I did rise again. And that I have your best interests at heart. And you believe that you are my friend. And then he kind of gets really a little bit personal with the disciples here. He gets kind of personal. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And this is a little dig at the disciples, but we can kind of, if you're a follower of Jesus, this can be a good reminder for you because he's, he's got all these boys around him. And he would have eyeballed them. And, and I could imagine him eyeballing Matthew and saying, Matt, three years ago, where were you? You're a tax collector, weren't you? Yeah. Did, the, did your own Jewish people like you? No. Did the Romans who you worked for like you? No. Did your own tax collectors like you? Not really. Did anyone want you to follow them? Like, was anyone running up to you saying, Matthew, tax collector Matthew, will you follow me? No. But I picked you out. When I was walking down that road, I singled you out and I said, Matthew, you're the kind of guy that I want on my team. James, John, brothers, hey, what were you guys doing three years ago? We were fishing on the seashore. And what did you do every day? We looked at rabbis with their disciples. And what did you want to be? You wanted to be a disciple of a rabbi. And why weren't you? Because we weren't smart enough. We didn't make the cut. No one wanted us. And did you come up to me and say, Jesus, can, can, can I follow you? No. Well, why didn't you come up to me? Well, because I thought you'd be like every other rabbi and you wouldn't want to have anything to do with us because we didn't make the cut. Who came up to you? You did. I chose you. Simon, when you were running around planning political assassinations, just like... Pretty much raising hell around. Who came up to you and chose you? No one wanted to have anything to do with you. You're crazy, Simon. But like, I chose you, didn't I? Simon would have been like, yeah. Like Jesus even picked a traitor in his midst to follow him. In other words, what Jesus is saying here to his to his followers in that moment, and also to those of us who follow him tonight, is that we aren't chosen because we have something to offer God. He's God. What, what do we have to offer him? If he really is God, what do we have to offer him? Jesus says it's so much better than that. 
I chose you because I have something for you. God has something for you. I'm not going to force it on you, but I've got something for you if you want it. And then he wraps up this like idea. He wraps up and he says it, he brings it all back together with this. He says, this is my commandment. Love each other. And if you were there, I could imagine that we would have been able to look around that table and we would have kind of started to see the light bulb sort of flickering. It wouldn't have come on because these guys were pretty thick. Like if you've read any of the New Testament, you know that they need like four or five attempts to get anything right. Um, so the light bulb would have kind of been flickering. And they would have kind of started to realize like, hang on a minute. The reason that Jesus is talking about love so much, the reason that he's talking about friendship so much, is because just being having a common interest doesn't lead to lasting community. In fact, if I could summarize what Jesus is trying to get across in this, um, in this part of the conversation, it would go like this. It says, um, community requires common investment. Lasting community requires, sorry, community requires common interest. Lasting community requires common investment. All community requires is that you have a slight interest in something and that you want to be a part of something, but lasting community involves you actually investing into another person. And allowing them to be able to invest into you as well. And if maybe you're wondering and thinking, well, okay, like that sounds good on paper, like it kind of rhymes, interest, investment, like I see what you've done there, like helping, like trying to make it a little bit memorable. Um, what, what does that look like though? Because it's easy to say community requires common interests, uh, lasting community requires common investment, but what does that look like? We have this thing here at Beyond, it's called Four Monday. Because we believe that uh, regardless of where you are uh, in your faith journey, that if you come and spend time with us, that it should benefit you, it should be helpful for the rest of your week. And so the four Monday for this week, to move from interest to investment, to move from community to lasting community, is this. Don't commit to community. Commit to being a friend. Don't commit to community. It's so easy. So easy to just go and be around people that have the same common interests as you. Commit to actually being a friend. Because I, I know that, that you would have experienced, or maybe if you haven't personally experienced it, there are, are people in your circle where you've been able to observe it from a distance. Those really draining friends. You know the friends I'm talking about where every time you get together, it is all about them. And maybe it's the same thing over and over and over and over again. Or maybe it's just a different thing every single time you get together. And over time, that gets really, really draining. And the reason it gets draining is because there's no investment back. There's no investment back into your relationship with them. There's no give and there's no take. So how would your world look differently if just this week, just for seven days, this doesn't have to be an entire life switch, this is just for seven days, we as followers of Jesus began to understand that Jesus actually invested in us first. Jesus actually gave his life so that when we missed the mark, we had a way back to God. Jesus invested and he invested his entire life on the chance that we might uh, turn back, on the chance that we might see and experience his love. There was no guarantee. And so what would that look like for us to do the same in the lives of the people around us? What would it look like in your workplace, instead of being annoyed at your boss, instead of being angry at your co-workers, if you actually began to invest? So, hey, maybe there's a reason that something's going on there. 
and ask them some questions. What's, what's going on in, in your life? Is family all right? Is there something else going on? What would it look like to invest? What would it look like in, in your high school or in your university lecture hall that when you pick that person out to be in their group assignment because they're really smart and you want the best grade, what would it look like to actually invest in them in return? What would it look like instead of just being like, oh, I'll just palm it off to them and they can get it all done the night before and then, and then I'll get a good grade and we'll all be sweet. What would it look like to actually take the time to invest into them, not for what they can give for you, but because you don't want to commit to community. You want to commit to being a friend. What would it look like for us in our sphere of influence this week, around the dinner table, around the school, in our relationships, wherever that may be, to actually commit to being a friend and to investing? And if you're a follower of Jesus, this is something you've got to take so seriously. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you get the investment that he made for us. You get that he gave his life for us. Not so we could know it all, not so we could have all the answers, but we so we could love. So this week, just try it. Don't commit to community. Commit to being a friend. Don't commit to common interests. Commit to investing into the lives of those people around you. You will not regret it. Let me pray for you. As I pray, I'd love to uh, invite the band back up. Heavenly Father, there are those of us tonight where we, we realize just how easy it is to get caught up in this idea of just being around people because of what they can give us. But Lord, when you stepped onto the pages of history, you weren't interested in what we could give you. And Lord, in fact, you, you said, I don't want you to, to follow me because you're afraid of punishment. I don't want you to follow me uh, because uh, you're afraid of what might happen. I want you to follow me because you trust me. I want you to follow me because you believe that I am who I said I am. That you believe that I came down and I made a way where there was no way. That I invested into humanity. And through that investment, the people may come to God, not through their works, not through the way they live their life, but through my death and my resurrection. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that maybe there have been some of us that have been sitting on the fence. Will we get involved in things because of we want to know what we can get out of it? And, Lord, I pray that tonight, that for those of us sitting on the fence, that we would, we would pick a side and that we would begin to make a decision to invest in the lives of those people around us just for the next seven days just to see what would happen and Lord I pray as well tonight maybe for people here for the first time who maybe they didn't realise that when you stepped into history you stepped in to, because you view us as friends and you stepped in to make a way where there was no way before and Lord maybe they're kind of asking questions of, I wonder what it would be like to invest. I wonder what it would be like to get connected. And, and so, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't leave this place tonight without, without going to the Connect desk at the back, without grabbing someone that, that looks like they know what they're doing or look like they uh, belong here and grab them and say, hey, hey, can, can you point me in the right direction? Can you tell me more about this Jesus and what it would mean to invest, what that would look like? And Father, we just thank you that there's nothing we can do to earn our way to you. We thank you that your life was the ultimate investment and paved a way where there was no way before. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.